Hi, this is Day for Night with Gadi Datsvich, a series that looks at the intersection between theater and poetry in the wilderness, in the edgelands. In today's episode, uh, I'm going to continue with some more work from the U.S.-Mexico exchange program uh, at the LARC in New York City, uh, where uh, Mexican playwrights, contemporary Mexican playwrights, are translated and adapted sometimes by uh, contemporary U.S. Latinx playwrights. Um, and I'm going to go to, I've done, I think I did eight translations for them, uh, maybe seven. I'll have to recount them. But uh, in any case, um, uh, one of the, not the first, but I think one that became quite significant, at least for me as a translator in this in this project for the LARC, um, is a piece called Deserts. It's a play by Hugo Alfredo Hinojosa, who is a playwright um, originally from Tijuana, uh, based in El DF in Mexico City. And um, this play, Deserts, is a play for voices. Um, the title is Deserts, and it's about uh, people crossing the border, but really it's people crossing many borders. Um, and it's just a gorgeous play, you know. Uh, I remember reading it and falling in love with it. Um, and uh, exhilarated to have a chance to translate it uh, and find my way through it. Um, uh, if you don't know Wilfredo's work, please seek it out. The, um, the play has a, comes with two epigraphs, the beginning, one from Pessoa, and that epigraph is, don't come to me with solutions. The only solution is death. And the second epigraph is uh, from Raymond Carver. And did you find what you were looking for? I did. What was it? To be loved. To feel loved. On this earth. So I'm going to look at two sections from Deserts. First one is the opening section, actually how the play begins, and it's the voice of a boy about 10 years old in the heart of the desert. Morning, my mother wakes me, says it's time for work. I pull the blanket over my head, stick my hand out to grab some clothes, get dressed and get up. Mom has the grocery cart already. It's filled with sweet bread, coffee, hot chocolate and beef burritos. We sell these things. We walk in a cool dawn and after about an hour of walking, we come to a desolate patch of land next to a giant metal fence. This is where we work. Our customers see us. They ask us for something to drink and chat about how hard it was to spend the night without cover. Others talk about sounds they hear in the valley when everything's quiet. The morning finally comes and we see between the slats and the fence the bodies of some old men who used to buy things from us. Their bodies are all torn up, thrown on the other side of the fence. How were they killed? I asked some men who are sitting near us. Who knows? They say only screams were heard. Bodies fly over the fence. La Migra throws them back. 
Nobody says a word. The bodies are left on the muddy earth. Later, forensics will pick them up, and soon it will be dark, and the place will be swarmed with people who want to climb over the fence again. We finish selling our bread and coffee at noon. We walk back home. Morning, we're back in the same place, in the cools. Dawn, and those that were here yesterday, where are they, ask? Where are they, I ask an old man. He doesn't answer. He points to the fence. I give him a cup of coffee. He thanks me with a smile. And I'm going to jump forward. Another voice in this play of voices. Um, this is called the insurance agent's office. I have life insurance. I sell life insurance. I bought it when I started my job in this company. We're dedicated to providing the best service and securing everyone's well-being. I've sold so many policies, as many policies as there are size. Nevertheless, it's not enough. I still have to surpass the level of sales achieved by the executive in this other city who has surpassed us all straight through the roof. The only thing I can do now to stay on par with him is to go into the pure communities and sell policies there to make those poor folks feel happy and assured. Their lot means something. I call on any number of houses I put in time. After all, no one should feel bad about being poor. You all have the right to be happy. Look at me. I'm the perfect example every day. I achieve my personal best. I strive for success. I smile, smile, smile. And when I lose my way, there's someone here to pick up my slack and take the credit. And that's as it should be. It's all about winning, staying in the game, going for the gold. And I'm ready to hit the streets and sell anything to anyone at any moment. I remember once I sold coverage to this man who had this coffee stand outside the busiest subway station in the city. He said... He was 65 years old, the exact age required for coverage. He came to my office with his wife. He asked me about all the clauses in the contract. And after reading them, the man turned to his wife and asked her whether they should invest in this insurance. Minutes later, the deal was closed. And the actors in this drama, the man, his wife, and I, shook hands. Days later, the man's body was ripped to bits when a bomb exploded in the subway station where he had his coffee stand. Rescue workers found his body. Most of his limbs were gone. They took him to the hospital and put him under close watch and isolation. They were afraid he might lose other parts of his body. He lost his nose and half his tongue. I remember because I went to the hospital to make him sign a clause in the contract that stated the insurance company wasn't liable. Insofar as terrorist attacks were concerned, the man's wife asked me why he had to sign these papers. I said it was just a formality to make sure they'd get proper coverage. They signed. I smiled, and I left the hospital with all the papers in order. They congratulated me at work. I'd done so well. I'd surpassed my rival in sales and became the head honcho in the office. I never went back to the hospital. Months later, I happened to stop by the town where those old clients used to live. I ran into the man and his wife. They had a newsstand. They sold coffee and sweets. The wife took care of the customers while he sat in a chair saying, Thank you to everyone who'd buy. And speaking in a kind of gibberish uh, no one could understand, I, I, I tried to start up a conversation with them about this new retirement plan that just came out. The woman spit at me and started to scream at me with this insane, sinister look on her face. And I couldn't understand why she was so upset. It was silent. She kept cursing at me. I thought, these people, these mediocre people... They just don't know how to smile. I turned around and left that savage place.
And these are two excerpts from Deserts by Hugo Alfredo Hinojosa. Um, check out his work. He's an amazing playwright from Mexico. Um, uh, also writes fiction. Um, just really a wonderful writer. Uh, I'm going to close out today's episode with, with uh, hopefully, I think they can find it. This is a uh, another translation from the U.S.-Mexico exchange at the Lark. Uh, it's a play called Decomposition by Alfonso Cárcamo. And it's translated by Mariana Carreño King. Uh, and I'll just read you a little blurb about this piece. It's a play that tracks the crumbling friendship uh, between two Mexican men from different social classes. Uh, and it's a play that's very me- meta in what it's doing. Actors go in and out of character and and kind of, it's sort of a game with the audience, this play. Uh, very interesting play, very funny, very dark. Um, moves a mile a minute, this play. Um, so, so I'm trying to pick a section that would make sense in this context. Um, maybe a little bit something towards the end. So there's two characters in this play. One is called A and the other is called M. Uh, I'm just going to read a section of M. This, this is really t- almost at the end here. Let me see. Uh, yeah. Um, right. So this is a uh, a section that begins. It's titled 5.2 Theater uh, A&M. Uh, stage direction is they both light cigarettes and smoke in silence. A begins. I went to get cigarettes at the 7. I remembered a 7 nearby. I bought a pack of Marlboro Lights, matches, and a bottle of Cuervo Tradicional. I turned off my cell. M. Carlos walked. He had cab money, but he needed to walk. His driver left a message in his cell. Boss, it's Abundio. You don't tell me if you wanted me to pick you up somewhere. Uh, don't disappear me, please. Don't treat me like that. They're saying that they suicided Lozano. These are pretty hot, boss. And you know that Mr. Espino told me to take good care of you. Don't make me look bad. Call me. It's Abundio. Carlos needed to walk. He had ten more voicemails. He never listened to them. A. Eighteen minutes have passed. I haven't opened the bottle nor the envelope. I'm smoking. M. Sonia grew up in Lomas de Chapultepec. Carlos walks in that direction. In bullfighting, a bull always walks to the bloody spot where the last bull was killed. That's what's called querencia. A. Three gulps of tequila and I open the envelope. I light another cigarette. M. Carlos's cell phone is about to ring. In three seconds, he sees nothing. Sonia covers his eyes with her hands. She's laughing. Sonia always smelled like flowers. Her hands were soft. Sonia leads him to the tiny room on the roof where he lives in Cerro del Judío. She opens his eyes, uncovers his eyes. He doesn't open them yet. He stays with her smell. She asks him to open his eyes. On top of the two milk crates, there is a white tablecloth, a bottle of French wine, two old Tupperware cups, and a pair of plates, just as old, and on each of them cheese. And with la coche, omelets. On the center of the makeshift table, next to the bottle of wine, there is an old Coca-Cola bottle with a white rose. It's their one-year anniversary. 
as boyfriend and girlfriend. He'd forgotten it, and he feels a bit guilty, but she doesn't think it's important, and she keeps smiling. Ganuza's eyes tear up. She doesn't know what to do. She looks at him tenderly and also cries. There are no words. Just looks that say, I love you, and the persistent hum of water filling the water tanks. He's allergic to eggs, but will eat everything she made. They will make love, but not finish because he will swell up and they'll have to go to the emergency room. They won't have money to pay for the visit. She spent it all on the food. He's paying for a car. So she'll talk to Francisco. She'll tell him the truth. Carlos cell rings. Three seconds have passed. And this is from the play Decomposition by Alfonso Carcamo, translated by Mariana Carreño King. Both of these are published by No Passport, uh, which is uh, the press that I founded uh, with the collective No Passport Theater Alliance. So, and you can find them on Amazon and another, uh, hopefully other online resellers like uh, Barnes and Noble and so forth. So that's today's episode, a bit from deserts and a bit from decomposition. As always, this is about you and I here in this theater, you there in the dark, and I wondering who you are. If you wish to support this work, uh, click on the support button link on whatever platform you're listening to this on. And more work will continue. Thanks for listening today for night.